in many cases you're the first one you know doing something like this i don't come from a business family hey everybody this is the charger cast my name is Nick Novak, and joining me today, she's not just a famous queen from Arendelle. Uh, in fact, there is a lioness connection to her. Please welcome Elsa Da Silva. Hi. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. So uh, let's start with your name, first of all, because I have a little daughter, and she is a huge Frozen fan, so I figured uh, there's a Frozen connection, but probably not. What's the name Elsa all about? Yes, for this generation, Elsa is the queen from Frozen. Uh, but actually, my mom named me after the lioness, Elsa, from the movie Born Free. Ah. And uh, Born Free is about this lioness who wanted to protect her cubs. And I guess that's where, uh, you know, a lot of my qualities come from. So now you're in full-on uh, cub protection mode, um, doing some incredible work. This show is really... Uh, just an excuse for us to talk to really amazing people about the work that they're doing and try to find out a little bit about their stories and where they come from and how they got to where they are and maybe serve as an inspiration for others. So uh, let's get right to it. I think what sort of put you on the map, so to speak, was this crowdsourcing map of uh, sexual assaults, right? Can you That's right. What, is, what was that about? So in December 2012, uh, we had this horrific incident that took place in Delhi. A young woman, Jyoti Singh, was gang raped multiple times on a bus in Delhi. Subsequently, she lost her life. And it kind of opened up the conversation around sexual violence. In my opinion, for the first time, uh, my friends and I started talking about our own personal experiences of being harassed, abused, or even assaulted. Until then, uh, I don't recall any one of us sharing these stories. Mm -hmm. And that made me think because I was at the time working in the aviation industry. And uh, as you know, if you're working in corporate, especially in strategy, I was vice president network planning where I handled over 500 daily flights. You constantly look at data to try and you know, give you a sense of what's happening or what kind of, uh, you know, patterns and trends there are. And when I tried to Google what were the statistics of sexual assault in India, I couldn't find anything relevant. Mm. All I could find was this one statistic that is even quoted till today. One in three women on an average around the world experience some form of sexual assault at least once in their lifetime. That's one in three women. Sure. That's 33% in a way. And uh, to me, my sample size said it was almost 100% because everyone I knew had a story to share. Yet, we couldn't find a sense in terms of numbers. And Safe City was launched as uh, an immediate response to, you know, it was my contribution towards the issue after Jyoti Singh was gang raped. But it was also an attempt to bridge the data gap uh, where the official statistics which were underreported did not reflect the true nature and size of the problem that all of us were experiencing on a daily basis. So you thought the actual numbers of sexual assaults were being underreported yes. um, in India. Yes. And so you set out to sort of find out what's the real story. And yes. what was unique about the way you did it, though? So, just before uh, Jyoti Singh's uh, gang rape took place, I was part of a management program uh, on CSR and sustainability in business. And that's where I had um, an insight into this other uh, initiative in Egypt called Harass Map Egypt. Hmm. And I learned that these women were 
you know crowdsourcing these stories to talk about uh, you know their experiences on the streets of cairo and i said you know that is very much needed in india but it was not a priority for me at that time so when i was thinking about how can i contribute towards making uh, society better for women in light of what had happened i thought uh, why not launch this platform uh, to encourage women to share these stories at least they can do so anonymously we don't need their name or email all we want is what happened to you where did it happen the date and time and with these uh, four uh, you know uh data points we would try and figure out what was happening in that location that makes it the comfort zone of the perpetrator and what i find unique is that when you don't have the lens of who is the victim or who is the perpetrator it really allows you without judgment to look at what is it going on in that space and how can we improve that space and many a time it's about poor urban planning uh but it could also be about lack of community awareness on the issue so whether it is street lighting that needs to be fixed or infrastructure like pavements or uh, public toilets for example which seem to be an issue in low income neighborhoods that can be very easily fixed if you get the uh, you know municipality uh, into Uh, your discussion but it could also be policing and we found that working with the police and giving them this data they uh, you know it adds to the additional decision making layer that they need but they don't get because women don't necessarily go to them so when you're doing this mapping of of sexual assaults um throughout india you're finding actual sort of hot spots then i guess for lack of a better word yes um and uh, when we talk about a hot spot you mentioned street lights and some other things are we talking about individual neighborhoods are we talking about like down to the sort of the street corner level um yes. how how specific are you when you're doing these locations so it is absolutely you can drill down to the street level wow. and that's the granularity that this data set helps bring in because when you look at the official crime statistics in india it is at the city level and it is at the crime level so you will say you will come across say maybe 2000 rapes in bombay i'm just giving you a number uh, but when you look at the safe city crowd map you can actually go down to the street that you live on and see has anyone reported on it and what we found is that having these stories helps educate people what could be the local problem but also inspires them to take action for example very early on one of the stories i remember was near in was in my neighborhood near a cafe and uh, this woman i'm assuming is a woman because we don't actually ask people to uh, write their gender when they report the story but she said when she and her daughter take a walk in the evening at 7 uh, around that cafe they are always intimidated by the groups of young men who seem to be drug addicts hmm. and they uh, stare at them comment and also stalk them and in the comment section i know to somebody uh said oh i'm going to go there and check because i i really want to see what's happening and i want to do my bit so that gives you the confidence but also for example in bombay we find that a lot of the hotspots are along the railway lines which means that on your commute day you know on your daily commute to work or college or school uh, when you're using public transportation you're not 
you know, experiencing a safe commute. So what is it that we can do to make it better? Where are the points that you can invest more money for better infrastructure? Is it the overhead bridges? Is it the uh, exit points immediately outside the railway stations? Is it the auto stands or the cab stands? And sometimes it's as simple as putting large awareness posters, investing in, um, you know, signs that people can um, you know call a helpline today we have multiple helplines and people are confused who do i call or more visible police policemen and women in spots that require them to be present in so i i do believe that this kind of disaggregated location based data can help you make better investments on women's safety right so it's not so much about avoiding an area that if I'm I'm a woman and I look on the map and I see that this is a, a sexual assault hotspot well maybe I shouldn't even come to this area this is about identifying the underlying causes for why this exists here and as you mentioned sometimes as simple as a street light um, how has your work been received by the local governments you're absolutely right this is not about avoiding the area but increasing the number of women in such public spaces for longer periods of time. Today what's happening is women rush home because they feel that they want to be protected within their home. It's a different thing that we are not mapping domestic violence. Yeah. But um, you know, we want women to be out there because according to one of the urban planning principles, if you see more of your own kind in a public space, at all kinds of day and night, it actually reduces the risk of being attacked. Hmm. And the local government, whether it's the municipality, the police, or even the elected representatives, I found that they have been very receptive because they cannot dispute this data. It's not about one woman's story, it's about a collective. So if it's a recurring trend, it's hard for them to, uh, you know, a pushback and we found that it's easier to engage them in dialogue but it's also easier to engage the larger community in dialogue whether it's the parents or the educational institutions or the community leaders uh, because think about it in India we don't have sex ed in schools we don't talk about these issues it's a taboo topic and therefore if you can have a dialogue and a conversation without blaming each other it really opens people up to think about solutions okay so it's 2012 um, this horrible gang rig happens in up in New Delhi you decide to launch this platform safe city or you're crowd mapping these sexual assaults uh, but you're still working in in sort of the big corporate world um, what happens next? What sort of starts that transition from this is going to become sort of my life's work? So actually it was very easy for me. You know, when you want to do something really um, intensely, I do believe the universe conspires to make it happen. So 2012 happened to be a landmark year for me where the airline that I was working with, Kingfisher Airlines, went through a financial downturn and eventually shut. Of course, I was vice president of network planning, so we were all, all you know, we were still planning on reviving the airline and working on, um, you know, plans with potential partners, etc. But there came a stage where I felt that what I was doing with Safe City was much more meaningful, and 
after spending almost 20 years in aviation where I felt I'd met all my corporate and personal goals, I wanted to now dedicate my life to doing something that uh, made sense, had a purpose and uh, would give me that inner fulfillment. And um, so, you know, uh, actually a mentor helped me think through this. So literally a year after launching Safe City, I verbally committed to focusing on this, you know, full time. But, but, but the common thread, though, it sounds like to me is data that you were a big believer in, in data and how that sort of impacts. So obviously you started in the airline, but in the aviation business and then, mo and then moved on. And so this thread of data inspired you to start this crowd mapping um, service. Moving forward though, has data driven the other projects you're working on as well? Has that been the common thread? Yes. Data, I do believe, um, drives our decision making because that's how you think in corporate and whilst i didn't consciously you know have that as my focus when i look back at the work i've done in the last seven years yes it has been a common theme what i've learned in the last seven years is you cannot just put a technology platform out there or just you know release data and dashboards without helping people understand what they stand for what they mean and what they can lead to the solutions part of it so we have invested uh, quite a bit of time and effort in educating people thus far we have uh, had over 20,000 people go through our workshops, mm -hmm. whether it is on child sexual abuse prevention or healthy relationships, understanding the laws uh, for every category that is there. India doesn't have a problem with the laws. It's the implementation of the law that is an issue. Understanding what is a safe workspace and what makes that that and helping people understand gender sensitivity you see we are socially conditioned in our gender stereotypical roles that we don't even understand our unconscious bias on a daily basis so helping people understand that because it's a contributor towards the violence sure let, let, let's let's focus on you a little bit okay um because i think you have a great story and i i love the idea that you went from this sort of corporate world to the, I don't, I don't even know what you call yourself now. Uh, uh, <laughs> is, it, is, it, is it an activist? Is it a social entrepreneur? Like, how do you how do you define who you are? Well, I don't like being put in a box. So, <laughs> you know, I uh, call myself a social entrepreneur, but I think change maker really fits in because I'm a gender equality advocate and activist. But I'm passionate about youth empowerment, and a lot of our work engages youth. And prior to that in aviation, I started off as a flight attendant. I was a safety instructor. I then moved into strategy. So I was in revenue management, uh, you know, uh, pricing and then network planner. And overall, I think I'm a gypsy at heart because I'm constantly on a plane <laughs> traveling all over the world. Right now, I'm evangelizing my work. But prior to that, it was all about, uh, you know, my work in aviation. You, you talked about the universe conspiring to sort of push you into this new direction. Um, you, you also said you had a mentor. And I'm curious to hear a little bit more about that. Talk about the mentor process and how important that was for you. So I didn't have just one mentor. I think I have, over the years, I believe I've had 
many mentors whether they were official or not and uh, mentoring is very very important uh, especially as a woman you know because you don't often have role models uh, who, who are women who've done things before you in many cases you're the first one you know doing something like this i don't come from a business family yet i'm the first one in my family who's gone and opened up a company now i have three actually two non-profits and one for profit um so it's very important that you have access to mentors who guide you along the way. Uh, over the years, uh, you know, when I was in corporate, I was very fortunate to have had uh, mentors who helped me think through and challenge me to, um, you know, take up roles that I never even knew existed. That's how from in-flight I went into strategy. I didn't even know those that side of the business existed and then when I was making the transition from aviation to the social and development sector I had a mentor who uh, told me if you don't focus on safe city you're gonna miss the bus and literally I had to evaluate am I ready you're never going to be ready I've realized you know but if if you know that you have a support system around you who can help you uh, and who can uh, kind of walk with you on that journey it's very comforting so yes yeah, so i um i appreciate that these mentors have always challenged me to push my own boundaries think bigger dream bigger and i'm continuing to do that but in my own way i'm paying it forward every year with the u.s consulate actually we host the global mentoring walk for young women where we match uh, senior established women leaders with uh, uh, younger women who are just starting off in their careers and uh, we uh, you know pair them together based on interest and they help each other think through the challenges it's not always a one-way learning street it's a two-way thing where each one learns from the other but what I found is that knowing that there are women out there who will open up their networks who can share the challenges that they've been through because at the end of the day the most of the challenges are the same it is very comforting very motivating and um, makes you want to be like them but how, how do you find this mentor, right? Because we hear this a lot, that I had someone help me along the way, someone pushed me, someone coached me, I was fortunate to find someone who really, you know, was my champion. But if, if someone's listening to you right now and, and they really want to move towards the social entrepreneur space or do something like this and strike out on their own, how do you, how do you find a mentor? How do you identify people who are going to be your champion? Well, you know, if you really look in within your social circle or your professional circle, you will find that there are a few people who take a take interest in your work and who've given you, um, you know, advice along the way. You can ask them. Can, would you like to mentor me? You think just straight out? Yes, hey, I have. I'd like a mentor. I have asked. You have. Okay. I have asked. So for different things. If it's finance related, I've asked. If it is technology, because technology plays a huge role in our work. And I'm not a technologist, though I've been called a technologist. And um, so if I know that I'm lacking in knowledge and skill in a particular area, I ask for help. 
and I identify somebody who's well established in that field and there's no shame in going forward and asking and in most cases the answer has always been yes people have been absolutely generous with their time and their knowledge and skills you know it's funny you say that because uh, my strong suspicion is that it's fear of rejection right that you don't want to put yourself out mm. there and bear your soul to someone mm. and say will you help me because I think mm. you're amazing at this and then have them say no but it's very flattering to be asked by somebody, you know, I respect you and I would really appreciate your help. So um, it's heartening to hear that just something as simple as asking for that mentorship role can, can help you find it. Because I know that's a, a stumbling block for people. And may I say something about rejection and failure? Yes. So I, yes, there is fear of, uh, you know, someone saying no. My advice is, you know, the no is not necessarily for you. It's not because of you. So don't take it personally. Maybe that person is really busy and cannot accommodate you in their schedule. And they are being honest enough to tell you that. So maybe the time is not right. But that doesn't mean that later you can't go back and ask them, especially if that is somebody you really want to learn from, really want to work with. And... Uh, Failure is part of the learning process. On a daily basis, things don't go the way you expect them to or want to. But maybe the timing is not right. Maybe you're not ready. And you can always reflect and pick up, okay, what could I have done differently? And that, to me, is how you should look at failure. I look at it as more as you know, more of stepping stones towards the next goal. And I, another thing that I, drives me is you get what you need, not what you want. You sound like the Rolling Stones. What does that mean? <laughs> so you get what you need, yeah. not what you want. I'll give you an example. So in 2012, the U.S. consulate Chennai, you know, I because I was network planning, a lot of the consulates and embassies used to contact us for, you know, special handling of, uh, you know, VIPs. And for some reason, the Chennai consulate, this particular man, he used to always call me up when the ambassador was traveling or whatever. So one day he called me up and he asked me to submit my CV for a program and he wouldn't tell me what it was. And so I submitted it. And of course, I didn't get through. But three years later, once I'd started Safe City, uh, Philip from the Bombay Consulate asked me for my CV for the very same program, the Fortune 500 Mentoring Program. Huh. Mentoring, mentoring program. there it is again. And uh, I got through. And it was an amazing, amazing program. So that's what I say. You get what you need, not what you want. Because if I had done, if I had been selected, oh, why didn't I get selected the first time around? Because I didn't need it then. But I needed it more for my work at Safe City. I didn't need the mentoring program for my work in Kingfisher. What was the program? So the program is, I, I'm told that it's the best uh, exchange program <laughs> that the uh, State Department has. It's the Fortune 500 mentoring program for women where they match uh, women in mid-career levels with a fortune uh, 500 CEO or executive level, uh, you know, person. And mine was uh, Sandy Peterson from Johnson & Johnson. And that was an amazing experience because till date, Johnson & Johnson is my mentor company 
I call them a mentor company because uh, it's a lifelong relationship, I think. Um, not just Sandy Peterson, but there were several women within the company who I happened to meet, spend time with, share ideas with. Uh, they were absolutely brilliant. It's a three-week program or a four-week program in the States where two weeks is residential with the company. I forget. Are they in Cincinnati? Where's no, Johnson, Johnson & Johnson is in New, um, New Jersey. Oh, they're okay. They're in New Jersey. New Brunswick. Okay. And... Uh, yeah, it's been, it was absolutely brilliant, but what's been even more amazing is the continuation of the relationship. Yeah, and so that was a mentorship program and, and seems to have worked out uh, fairly well for you. What's sort of next for you as you move forward? So I'm constantly pushing the boundaries with my current work. For me, putting gender on the agenda is absolutely critical. I feel a lot of... Uh, policy makers do not have a gender perspective and therefore the kind of systems they design or the policies they put out are not holistic, inclusive or participatory. And my, uh, my belief is if I can help them think through it from a gender lens, at least we would start to expand and be more inclusive in whatever they achieve. So with Safe City, our work is uh, getting to be more institutional in terms of partnership, whether it's with the railways, with the police or with uh, sensitizing judiciary or uh, you know the police as well or local government and apart from that it's about influencing youth because they are the future so finding many different ways for them to contribute think about their civic uh, responsibilities currently again the u.s consulate is one of the partners of our youth innovation challenge uh, we did it last year for the first time this is our second round where we've invited them to submit ideas yeah. that can be um, used at the hyper local level to solve a problem the topic is safe public spaces we've selected 10 of the best ideas, putting them through an incubator process. And on um, 22nd November at the consulate, they're going to be pitching their final uh, prototype. Let's tease it a little bit. What kind of uh, projects are in, our, in the top 10? The range is huge. So there is an urban design for transgender people to make them feel comfortable in public spaces. There's another one, uh, again, urban design on the sky uh, walks so Bombay has a lot of skywalks how can those be um, safe but also designed to be more inclusive or to be used uh, or to be used Period, exactly right? I mean. you know today you know I mean because there's no um, urban furniture you know we there's no concept of urban furniture that people can use to relax a city should be something that you live in work in and you play in but the play part never really applies to women or vulnerable groups it's just men sometimes hanging around and even they may not have a concept of what play means so and then the third one is a night market that will bring in more women out you know like a cultural market uh, to incentivize more women to reclaim spaces in the night then you have um, you know educational components in particular spaces there's all kinds of things and 
I think it's fascinating how they've thought about it. You know, uh, sometimes who are, who are these? These are young people submitting these ideas. Young people between the ages of 17 and 25 years, and this year we've got entries from all over India. So huh. there are two teams from Delhi, one from Udaipur, one from Vijayanagar, and the rest are from Pune and Bombay. And so it's not something where these are young women who are interested in. I, I want to be the next Elsa da Silva. It's I have this idea for this particular project and you're providing a way to make that happen and these teams are not just women the the only criteria we have is that one person on the team has to be a non-male ah. otherwise you get teams that are all male so we just want to push diversity and helping people think through that I do want to circle back one more time though to this inflection point of going from I'm, I have a, a normal job, a regular sort of um, corporate work, and I'm socially active on the side. This is what I'm passionate about. I volunteer on the weekends. Moving from that piece to I feel passionate, I want to do this sort of for the rest of my life type of a thing. Um, one, how did you know that this was like your thing, right? I'm always curious how people identified this was going to be my space that I've been called to. So one is my own experiences. The gang rape of Jyoti Singh triggered a lot of my own memories which I had suppressed. Oh. And so I realized that, you know, we have kept quiet for way too long and it's time to break the silence. Of course, it's not easy to break the silence. So through this process, I've also, uh, you know, shared my story multiple times. Initially, it was difficult, but over the years, it's become easier to talk about it. But when I hear other women's stories, other young girls' stories, or even young men, young men are also abused. But when they tell me that how they now feel confident, either accessing a public space, negotiating with their parents for further education, where earlier it was not an option because maybe they had to travel or move to another city. So when I see them pushing their boundaries, that's when I know that what I'm doing is absolutely critical. You see, mo for most of my life, because the kind of family, again, it comes down to your birth lottery. Which family were you born in? And the family that I was born in didn't make a distinction between my sister and me and my brother. So we were all treated equally. We were given every opportunity to fulfill our dreams. There was no cap on okay, you have to take science or, you know, the, the streams of education or the kind of career. And therefore, even before I started Safe City, I traveled the world. I experienced a lot of, um, you know, uh, incredible experiences and met wonderful people. But I found that a lot of accomplished women do not push their boundaries. And once they, you know, they don't, they don't even do things like solo travel. They do not have the confidence to do that. And that is a shame. Uh, so my whole aim now and the purpose of my work is how can I help people achieve their potential? What do you tell parents? What's your message to parents? My message to parents is listen. Be open uh, to your children. Keep an open door policy in the true sense. You know, listen to what they're really saying. And make sure that they, you give them the confidence to come to you and say whatever, you know, I even if it is the most taboo topic. Do not judge, just listen. <sighs> 
that's that's a big mind shift, though. Right? <laughs> that's tough. As a speaking as a parent myself, I mean, that's a that's sort of a a difficult thing to wrap your but head. But think around. about it. Would you like your daughter to keep something from you if it was going to impact her life? You know, because when you talk about sexual harassment and abuse, which is one kind of, uh, you know crime that somebody would face but it's the most common thing that children and the age is 80% of those one in three women uh, have experienced sexual violence before the age of 16 so which means that as a child you have experienced something and if you have not said anything to a trusted adult which is a, should be a parent how can you get the help you need mm. how can you get the support and we subconsciously adjust our behavior it affects our mental health we restrict our mobility and thereby we restrict the opportunities that will help us achieve our financial and true potential financial independence and true potential so i do believe that parents have a key role to play so uh we're running out of time um and i want to thank you for your time and, and making yourself available to us um, what's sort of your parting shot to a young person who is experimenting with social activism for the first time, um, wants to do something, wants to fulfill their civic responsibility? What, what's sort of the one thing you say to that person? Two things. One is, do not let anyone say you can't do it. And the second one is, there are so many opportunities to contribute. Do not try to solve it at the city level or the country level first start in your own family and in your own community and then expand and there are india has so many issues we need all the help we can and we need citizens to be active thank you great thank you elsa da silva today with us on charger cast please stay tuned for our next episode which will be coming to you shortly as well uh, again this is just an excuse for us to get together with really interesting people to talk about the amazing work they're doing and to hear a little bit about their stories and we'll see you next time